Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Lovely. Thank you. (laughs) You are lovely. Um, People who can't see you don't know, but I do. So we're at the end of the summer of SCOTUS. It's a little sad. It's a little (laughs) melancholy. It's a little bit of a relief. It's, It's all the feelings at once. But I know that there's been a lot of a lot of things that have happened this summer that it seems like it would be really nice if we could just sort of wrap them up and kind of put our hands around what this summer has meant and, and what it may mean going forward. Sure. Yeah. It, it, it's been weird, hasn't it? Like the first thing is it's, it was weird because it's in a very- March, I don't know if anybody noticed, but there was a <laughs> pandemic. I'm just saying, if for some reason you've been living in a cave under a rock on the side of a freeway, there's been a there's been this coronavirus thing. Yes. And it had a pretty big effect on the on the court, right? Uh yeah. It, Although it, Touchwood, as far as we know, none of them have contracted coronavirus. That that is correct. Uh a couple of the justices uh have had some health scares. Um, and in fact, uh, as we are recording, uh, Justice Ginsburg, uh, uh, the day before, uh, went back into the hospital to um, um, have a, a follow-up procedure done on a stent that was uh, placed in her body last year. Um, it is my personal belief that Justice Ginsburg is actually bionic. <laughs> and what she went in for was some replacement of some mechanical thing that, because you know, I, I think she's amazing. She just oh. keeps going and going. She's the energizer bunny. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the, there's the old Mark, what is a Mark Twain quote about, you know, rumors of my death were, you know, greatly exaggerated. Yeah, right? I know there was this, weren't there rumors that she might retire or. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're and I'm like, have you met Justice Ginsburg? I don't yeah. think she's ever going to retire. Yeah, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, the the the, the court finally acknowledged uh, that earlier this year she had a fourth bout of cancer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like nothing kills her because yeah, she right? is she is yeah. indomitable. Yeah, you know, she shows up for the oral arguments. Um, she does her work. She writes <laughs> opinions. Yeah, she writes opinions. Which you know. I don't know about y'all, but. If I'm writing a paper, which is sort of what an opinion is, oh yes, uh, oh. that's a that's a concentrated effort, and she's doing fine with them. Nobody's reading them and saying, "Oh, she's a little bit around the bend." Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the uh, the other day, uh, uh, I was having a conversation with uh, uh, my colleague uh, Judy Twig, um, uh, who's uh, appeared as a guest on this podcast uh, uh, earlier this year, and. Uh, uh, Judy writes uh, a lot of, of uh, research papers for various organizations, and uh, she was uh, talking about uh, my musings column, um, uh, uh, which I post on the Political Science Facebook page, and, and uh, they may actually become available um, uh, on the library's uh, uh, com- compass platform at some point, okay? And when they, if, when, and if they do, we will link them yes, from yes. this guide. 
Yeah, but uh, we were talking about how, you know, you know, she and I, you know, are, you know, what we write, you know, are typically 15 to 1800 words, right? You know, they're like three to five pages, right? And we're exhausted, okay, for days afterwards, right? <laughs> okay. Ginsburg, on the other hand, produces, you know, nine or 10 treatises every year, plus, you know, a handful of noteworthy dissents, okay? And it seems to have like no effect on her. Yeah, okay? she's 900 years old and you cannot, she just keeps going. Yes. And I shouldn't say she's 900. She's in her upper 80s, I think. Yes, yeah. And, and she and, just, but she also goes to the gym and works out. And yes, right. Uh, does all these amazing things. She's, she's something. And then we had John Roberts, right? John Roberts had a bit of a fall. You disappointed me by informing me he was not salsa dancing when this <laughs> happened, which I would have given anything if that had been the case. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in what the, 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 the Supreme Court's public relations office reported, and by the way, they only reported it like, you know, weeks after it happened. That is interesting. They do seem to report things after the scare is over. I guess yes. they don't want people speculating during or they don't want, they want to protect the privacy of the justices. Well, I mean, it's a combination of things, but I mean, we know this historically that what the Supreme Court reports to the public may not necessarily be the complete truth. <laughs> Although more gossip is coming out these days than it has in yes. previous uh, days, because I saw something on one of the news channels, and forgive me if I, could, I can't for the life of me remember which one, I check about 30 a day, um, that was saying that there was, there was some machinations during the Bostock case yeah. and there were some frustrations on sides of whether to take the case and how to handle the case and there were some which i i'm not entirely sure that that would have come out about previous courts but yeah, we're now I mean, living in the age of twitter and facebook and updates to your to your mood consistently and constantly that now it seems to be that we know what the justices are thinking or doing in real time or close to real time yeah, listeners, uh, what Nia is referencing is the fact that uh, the C, uh, CNN's uh, Supreme Court reporter, uh, Joan Biskupic, uh, this week has a four-part uh, series on some of the behind-the-scenes uh, machinations, if you will, um, uh, for this Supreme Court term. And it's somewhat unusual. Um, uh, because uh, she doesn't identify who her sources are, and of course her sources can ask that they remain confidential. Um, but um, so the first part was uh, about John Roberts um, and his, uh, shall we say, unusual term as Chief Justice, which, which we I, will get to. I was okay. going to say I know you were going to you yeah. were going to talk about that a little okay. bit. Uh, part two uh, was uh, about uh, the role Neil Gorsuch played throughout the term. Part three uh, talked about uh, Brett Kavanaugh's efforts to get the court to hold off on a couple of the more controversial cases and his efforts to ingratiate himself onto the court. And then part four uh, is being released actually uh, today, uh, the day we are recording. So we don't know what that one's about. But in terms of leaks, 
Um, uh, it is highly unusual. Uh, the court as an institution is extremely close-lipped. Um, the John Roberts fall from uh, 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 early in the spring is a good example of this. Apparently, he was out walking, got dehydrated, fell at his country club, banged his head. And the only reason why we ended up finding out about it is that somebody apparently who works at the country club um, uh, gave a tip to a Washington Post reporter who then asked the Supreme Court's press office to comment on it. Otherwise, we may not have found out about it. And it's noteworthy in regards to Roberts because Roberts has had at least two previous uh, incidents where he suffered from seizures. Ah, I okay. did not know that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, of course, you know, you know, you know, the, the press is wondering, was this a third seizure? seizure? Um, is this part of a longstanding condition? Uh, you know, will the chief justice step down, blah, 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 right? Although he's one of the youngest and the healthiest in the group. Yes. Yeah, I mean, right now you kind of sort of have a, uh, a sort of tiered aging on the Supreme Court, right? right? Uh, you have the two oldest uh, uh, who are in their 80s, that would be Ginsburg and Breyer. Um, and then it is Thomas and Alito, um, uh, kind of sort of the second wave. And then the third wave is, you know, basically Roberts at the upper end. But then you have, you know, Roberts, Sotomayor, Kagan, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh, right? Um, I mean, theoretically, John Roberts just concluded his 15th term. I can't believe I'm saying it. 15th term as Chief really? Justice. Really? He's been Chief Justice, Justice 15? 15 years. <gasps> 15 I did years. not realize that. Oh, I'm old. Yeah, yeah you and me both. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Which is funny. I immediately respond to that in terms of myself, not in terms of John Roberts. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, really? That yeah. doesn't seem right. Yes. Wasn't it just five years ago that he became? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he's been Chief Justice for 15 years. So he was, what, 10 when he was made Chief Justice? <laughs> no. I mean, really, he was a relatively young man to be Chief Justice. Yeah, he was in his early 50s, uh, uh, which is, you know, highly unusual. On the other hand, you probably could not have found a more credentialed uh, person to be picked you know, as a young chief justice. I mean, right. I mean, if you think about his background, um, you know, he served on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. He was a well-known Supreme Court lawyer. I mean, I think he argued well over 30 cases in front of the Supreme Court. Oh, I didn't realize that. Is that okay. common for Supreme Court justices to be members of the Supreme Court bar? No, it's, it's, it's fairly unusual. Um, okay. It's fairly unusual. Um, I mean, because let's face it, most, most of the members of the Supreme Court bar, even if they have aspirations of becoming a Supreme Court justice, uh, it's some pretty good money when you are a well-known member of the Supreme Court bar, <laughs> okay? You know, if you, take, if you take the job as a Supreme Court justice, after being a prominent member of the Supreme Court bar, you are taking a huge financial hit to go work on the Supreme Court. Somebody said that, oh, 
I know who it was. It was Lee Iacocca. He was asked in the, what, the late 80s, maybe it was the early 80s, if he was ever going to run for president. He said, no, he couldn't take the financial hit. Sure. Because he was, what, CEO of one of the... Of Chrysler. Uh, yeah, the motor yeah. companies, where he was making, I'm sure, a cause a billion dollars. And yes. the president makes like 150K or whatever it is. I don't remember what it is, but... At, at that time, it probably was somewhere around, you know, the, the, the mid to upper uh, 100,000s. I mean, now, uh, presidents, just like, you know, uh, the chief justice, are on the upper end of 200,000 plus. And I know some of our listeners are like, well, you know, that's not chump change. Well, I mean, think about this, okay? For a some of those of, people, it is chump change. A member of the Supreme Court bar can go ahead and charge anywhere from 750 to $1,000 an hour. An hour, folks, okay? Yeah. I don't know about you, but nobody's valued my time on an <laughs> hourly basis, okay? <laughs> Yeah, if I if I went to the library and said I'd like a raise, I'm gonna need a thousand dollars an hour. <laughs> the the sheer volume of laughter would drown out anything else I would have to say. Like, there's just no, and I get that that that's that those cases are set how policy is going to be for decades. Mm -hmm. to come right so they they are important but there is a certain uh there's a certain crushed part of my soul when i hear somebody say oh, yeah sure. that's a thousand dollars an hour and I'm like, i don't think anybody i'm not sure anybody's work well no i take that back medical professional right like i mean if we could pay people what they were worth there are probably some jobs that i would say that was but i'm not sure i would say that well, you know, as we've discussed, Neil, on this podcast, I'm a huge fan of professional sports, right? Okay, baseball, oh, yeah. football, to hockey, or whatever, right? And, oh, you know, I guess they're making $1,000 an hour. Well, I mean, hey, there are, you know, uh, uh, so to give you an example, there's an outfielder for the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, uh, a guy by the name of Mookie Betts, okay? He plays right field. Great player, Right. He just signed a contract extension of, you know, 10 or 11 years for well over $300 million. Okay. And they, and immediately there were calculations about how much money he would make per game. I mean, it's something absurd, like five or $6,000 per game. Right. I'm sitting there and I'm like, and, and of course, again, you know, part of me is just like, oh, that's just obscene. On the other hand, I was just like, wow, I always wanted to be a major league baseball player. <laughs> okay. I, the only, the only um, argument I can see for it with athletes is that, one, their bodies will not last that long. Um, the chances that he'll be playing yeah. at the same level 10 years from now that he's playing now are almost nil. Yeah. And, and one injury and you're done, like one serious injury and you're yeah. done. He tears his rotator cuff, no more baseball. He, yeah. he rips an ACL, no more baseball, right? Like, yeah. or whatever, whatever sport it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean the only sport that I know of where you can pretty much get massively injured and come back within the same game sometimes is hockey, right? Because they're like, yeah, I lost an eye. Who cares? I'm going back on the ice, right? Because they have <laughs> – there's something about hockey, which I love. It's one of my it, – it is my favorite sport. Um, 
but and i don't think they make anywhere close to that that's the other thing is part of what plays into all of that is television rights and all that other right all those other things that yeah tv contracts um and uh merchandise and all that stuff you're you're selling all that stuff as well as yeah i mean mean, you're a shill in some ways they're paying you you in part for your soul i mean it's what the market can bear and i never begrudge anybody if you know they can go ahead and you know, make, make a whole bunch of money doing something that they, you know, love and enjoy. I oh, mean, I do. I begrudge it a little bit. So oh, you do? See, I see, I don't. I mean, because, <laughs> you know, the way I look at it, you know, uh, and, and and I hope no u- university administrator is listening to this particular podcast episode because I'm going to say something um, that will completely undercut any claim I may make to get paid. But they pay me to go ahead and talk about stuff. Okay, that I love to talk about, right. that I would study on anyways, right? But nevertheless, um, uh, yes, I, uh, I would and, like a pay raise. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how pretty much how I feel about my job. I love my yeah. job. And I think yeah. Roberts loves his job. He seems to relish oh. sort of the... Yes, yeah, right. You know, like some of it, I think he relishes being the one to drop the bomb. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's like, and bam, there's a, there's an opinion that you weren't expecting or whatever. I think there's some of that. There's this, he seems to be having a good time. This term, Nia, um, and and many scholars have uh, already suggested this, this term, you actually see John Rock, the emergence of what I think scholars may end up calling the Roberts court. Okay. And we typically title Supreme courts, by the name of the chief justice. Right, but what are the previous 15 years? Okay, but I would say argue in the previous 15 years, you could make a a very plausible argument that the Supreme Court was controlled not by John Roberts, but more than likely by Anthony Kennedy, who was the swing vote. Okay, because I used to joke with my students, um, it was Anthony Kennedy's world and we're just living in it. (laughs) Right, and now we've moved to John Roberts. Roberts, world. right, right, okay, um, and, uh, uh, and 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 we're going to get into that in just a few moments. But back to your original point, this was an un- unusual Supreme Court term because, in part, the pandemic. So let's talk about the impact of the pandemic. Um, so for the first time since the 19 teens, during the infamous worldwide Spanish flu outbreak, okay, the Supreme Court postponed some oral arguments. So there's about uh, 10 to a dozen Supreme Court cases that the court uh, decided to uh, hold over until the next Supreme Court term, which begins in October of this year. So they postponed about 10 of them. And then they actually heard oral arguments for the remaining roughly 10 to 12 in May. Now, they, they hardly ever hear oral arguments in May because they usually conclude oral arguments in April so they can spend basically the entirety of the months of May and June finishing up all of the cases, you know, writing opinions, for the cases that they heard earlier in the term, okay? Okay. 
when they heard oral arguments in May, okay, um, they actually did it via teleconferencing, but then they also live streamed it so we could actually hear the oral arguments in real time, even though we weren't there. Which I think is awesome. And I was, I was going to ask you about something, your opinion about whether you think that that will continue past the pandemic. But however long the pandemic goes, obviously they're going to keep doing this. But do you think there's any chance that they will continue to do it once people are allowed back into the courtroom? Because it let a lot more people have access. I mean, right? Because only, I can't remember how many you told me, 150 people or so fit into the into the courtroom at the Supreme Court. But yes. way more than that, listen to the arguments. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know, Nia. I mean, you're talking about a, an institution that historically hasn't been all that interested in opening the court or the institution to the public, okay? So, you know, anytime members of Congress have asked the court to televise oral arguments, the justices have uniformly, okay, said no, okay? Well, and they continued to say that because they didn't televise these, right? They just no. did the audio. Yeah, they just did the audio, right? Um, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, cause we haven't heard from the justices as to whether or not they like it. Right. I mean, in, in the, in, in the justices get to decide, right. You know, just like, you know, member, you know, just like Congress gets to decide whether or not they, you know, agree to televise a hearing. Okay. I mean, you know, as far as, you know, Congress is concerned, Congress could go ahead and say, well, we opened our hearings to the public. We don't have to go ahead and televise it on C-SPAN, right? Right. Okay, they don't have to. Although okay. accessibility is a good thing. Well, I mean, And it would be interesting, you wouldn't have to, they wouldn't have to all live near each other if... <laughs> if they went to you know what i mean not that they don't want to live near each other i'm not saying they're grumpy like that but you know what i mean like they could live <laughs> all over the united states we could have a supreme court where i've always wanted to live in olympia washington i'm going to move there and still be a member of the supreme court i would be really fascinated but okay so but, I, mean, I see it, your it, point that they are a that they are a his, historically conservative organization where that where change is slow to be made oh very slow right and i mean sandra day o'connor was the first female justice and that was in the 1980s yeah this, 1981 the first african-american was in the mid-1960s with thurgood marshall but i mean that was as much the nomination of people i mean if you talk about the supreme court's internal operations I mean, think about this, okay? Um, uh, the, the Supreme Court was one of the last government institutions that went to a secure email system. <laughs> okay? Oh, it would have been awesome if that had been hacked with something really cool. I mean, they were still producing written drafts well into the 1990s of opinions for their colleagues to comment and remark on. Now they have Google Docs. Okay. Yeah, well, we don't know. <laughs> okay. 
we don't know, but that would be fascinating. If, it, if you could go in and put comments on the side, yeah. I completely disagree with this sentence because blah, blah, blah. Yes, I, you know, uh, I, I will join your opinion with the exception of, you know, page four <laughs> of the Google Doc where I've gone ahead and comment, commented that I don't like your footnote, okay? <laughs> now, what many commentators, uh, and, 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 and I'm just summarizing here, um, um, one, the, 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 the live stream was very informative, you know, and, you know, this is somebody, you know, and, and I tend to agree with this comment. I mean, this is somebody who reads the transcripts of, the oral arguments, who will listen to them, okay, when they were previously recorded and then made available at the end of the week, right? I mean, I was fascinated. And, and in part, part of my fascination was we, we got to hear th uh, 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 Clarence Thomas, okay, in almost all of these cases, okay? Um, and it was fascinating to see him participate because the way John Roberts organized this was each justice had three minutes, okay, uh, to ask uh, uh, a lawyer a question. And then if there was remaining time for the 30 minutes set aside for each attorney in the case, then the justices could ask follow-up questions. So, you know, Clarence Thomas was the second justice to ask questions. The chief justice went first, and then they did it by order of seniority on the court. So it was Roberts, then Clarence Thomas, then uh, Ginsburg, then Breyer, okay, um, then Alito, then Sotomayor, Kagan, Gorsuch, and then Kavanaugh, okay. Um, all the good it, questions are taken by the time you get to Kavanaugh. He's Kavanaugh, probably like, right? no, man, I was going to ask that. So it was much more structured. The attorneys who participated in these cases did comment that on one hand, they liked how it was structured, but they didn't like not being able to get the, the visual cues. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the frowning and the shaking yeah. of your head and the, okay. the things that let other people know whether you agree or disagree without, you know, body language, without yeah. you having to say anything. Yeah. Um, I can see where that would be hard as a lawyer to argue. You're basically arguing into a black box. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, now, the other uh, uh, impact, uh, Nia, of the pandemic is that the Supreme Court ruled on um, uh, slightly over 60 cases, um, which is the lowest number since um, the mid-1800s. I'm not mad at them. A lot of people have been less productive than they normally are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they were having to homeschool. They were having yeah. to do all that stuff. They're having to try to avoid putting on 30 pounds of COVID weight. Like, they had, they had a lot going on. I'm, I'm not mad at them about that. Well, However, like, like my boss has said, now that we're in the swing of things, let's get back to the swing of things, yes. right? So um, not that she would ever say we were unproductive before, but she's encouraging now that we have this down. So maybe if they do this next year, they'll actually be better at it because they will have practiced a little bit. Well, I mean, There's always the bumps of trying to figure out whether this will even work or not. 
Yeah, I mean, and, you know, and, and, and what's, what's kind of interesting is, you know, for the next term, the courts already agreed to take about 30 cases, okay? Um, they'll fill in the rest of their uh, docket or their calendar um, for the 2020-2021 uh, term um, uh, in their big conference at the end of September. Um, where they will come together and they'll take a look at all the appeals, all the that were submitted during the summer, and they'll fill in the rest of their docket, okay? The question becomes, to what extent do they add more cases? Do they try to get up to what had become the average of roughly 75, 70 to 75, which had become the average um, uh, over the last, if you will, 15 to 20 years. Um, do they try to make up for it? Uh, we don't know. Um, uh, a SCOTUS cram session. Cram session, yeah, <laughs> right? So we don't know that, right? Now, there are some other trends that became fairly, uh, 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 fairly clear. And, and one of the reasons why I and other scholars are saying we, we have kind of sort of the emergence of the quote-unquote Roberts Court. John, John Roberts voted in the majority 60 out of 62 cases this term. Okay, that is highly, highly irregular. Okay, he was in the majority, and, and you, we could do the percentage, if you will, but that is a large a very high percentage of cases for a justice to be in the majority, especially since this is considered an ideologically divided court. I mean, if you think about it, the accepted wisdom is that there are four liberals on, uh, currently on the court, Ginsburg, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, and then the other five are conservatives. They were all appointed by Republican presidents, Roberts, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh, right? Um, but he was in the majority 60 out of 62 cases, all right? Okay. Um, very unusual. Very is, unusual. Do we, is that because John Roberts is convincible? Is that because he only takes cases that he feels strongly about and he bends other people to his will. Like, which way is that going? Is that him bending them to him or is that them bending him to them? Did that I make think, any sense, that question? Yeah, it's probably more the latter, okay? He joined the liberals in a number of high profile cases that was, you know, Sure, you know, surely disappointing to conservatives, right? I mean, conservatives have basically called him a sellout because uh, he voted with liberals on a number of, shall we say, high profile cases, right? But in doing so, he limited the scope of the rulings, of the opinions, okay? So to give you an example of what I'm talking about here is, okay, uh, 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 Roberts voted in the June medical case, uh, which dealt with the, the Louisiana abortion uh, law. Okay, he voted with the four liberals. 
right? The majority opinion was written by Justice Breyer, and Breyer basically just dusted off his majority opinion from a couple years ago in the Hellerstead case and said, just like we told Texas that they couldn't uh, pass this abortion law, we're now telling the state of Louisiana. But Roberts' fifth vote, okay, against the Louisiana abortion law, okay, basically limited, if you will, the scope of the Supreme Court ruling, because he came out and said, I voted in the dissent in the previous case, but I'm going to uphold precedent in this case. But I don't agree with Breyer's analysis in his majority opinion, and I actually think that states could pass such laws if they come up with a better justification. Okay. Okay. So if you are a state that wants to pass a law. He just told you how to do it. He just told you how to do it. And he called into question the majority opinion. Okay. It's entire logic. Now, is that Roberts going as far as the conservatives? Hell no. On the other hand, okay, okay, the, the liberals on the court had to be like, oh, good Lord, we got a fifth vote. It's John Roberts. Yay, we got the outcome we wanted. Oh, crap. Okay. Yeah, there's a, there, I'm sure there's a part of them who are like, don't join us because, <laughs> because you're going to, it's a mixed blessing. Let's put yeah, it that way. You a, win, but only sort of because, He's basically saying, I don't agree with your logic. You win because we've already decided this. this that's if right. they came along and did it better, better, I'd blow you guys off and go to the other side. Or, you know, or, or think about how uh, conservatives, uh, many conservatives don't like the DACA program, Deferred, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, okay, program, okay? But Roberts voted with the four, uh, 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 Roberts, okay, uh, uh, wrote a majority opinion that went ahead and said uh, the Trump administration's uh, rescission of the program violated the Administrative Procedures Act. <laughs> okay. Right, and if they hadn't done that, then they had the power to do it. They had the power to do it, right? So on one hand, okay, you know, liberals are happy, okay, DACA, the DACA program still exists, okay? On the other hand, John Roberts made it very clear if we had a president who could follow the Administrative Procedures Act, guess what? There wouldn't be DACA. Yeah. Okay. So in many ways, John Roberts forced the court to probably be what I suspect he is, which is, let's face it, he's still a conservative, right? Right. Okay. He voted with the conservatives the overwhelming majority of the time this term, right? The justice he voted with the most was Brett Kavanaugh, okay? Brett Kavanaugh is not a liberal, okay? Yeah, no. Okay. On Unless other, you stretch that definition, definition like silly putty, yes, he, is, right? he is not. Okay. But what you see is a, a, a chief justice, a justice who um voted in ways that lowered the political heat about the court okay yeah he upset 
the conservatives. But you don't see as many liberals running around the countryside now saying that they, we need to pack the court with more liberals. Because John Roberts went ahead and voted in ways that gave victories to both conservatives and liberals. Okay. Yeah, I think of John Roberts as a little C conservative. He's yes. conservative in that way of people who want to maintain the institution. They want to maintain the integrity of, of the court. Like, you know, part of what he's doing is getting at the, like, the, like you're talking about the APA, like that's a mechanistic no, there are sure. rules, and if you follow the rules, it, it reminds me of the McGirt case where Gorsuch is like, no, no, a treaty is a treaty until you tear it up. You can't just ignore that there's a treaty because there are rules about treaties. That, that would not be a treaty if you could just ignore it. And well, thank but, but, goodness but because other treaties in the world would cease to exist as well, which would not be a good thing. Oh, but, but by the way, it's interesting you mentioned the McGirt case right? Roberts, that was one of the two times Roberts was actually in the dissent. And the reason, one of the things that Roberts pointed out in his dissent was, you know, the court's ruling was going to, or had the potential to have huge changes. Right. Which Roberts, a little C conservative would not want. No, Robert, okay, Roberts is most definitely concerned about the, inst the institution's reputation, right? right? He doesn't want the court to be considered a political institution, okay? He says it all the time. We're a legal institution, okay? But you are right. He is a conservative conservative. If you're going to have changes, small changes, right? Small changes, incremental, okay? Which, again... <gasps> It could be that audio is just his first move into getting them into video <laughs> and then getting him into live, like TV style, you know, like deal or no deal kind of thing. I'm kidding. He would never do that. But, but, but I mean, and it's funny that he says he doesn't want the court to be viewed political because he's very astute politically. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, because I know that on a couple of them we had talked about he wrote the opinions because they would be so divisive, like the Trump tax yes. opinions. He gets taking heat. he took yes. that heat on himself, sure. Rather than say, "Come here, fellow victim. Let me <laughs> let me make you the person who writes this," because there are some people that that would have been horrible for that they would have had oh, a struggle. Okay, imagine if, for instance, John Roberts would have voted uh, differently in the abortion case, the June medical case. And because he would have been in the majority, he decides to assign it to Kavanaugh. After the abuse that Kavanaugh got during his confirmation hearing. Oh, okay, my goodness. Okay, you want to talk about, you know, a, a boss not doing you any favors yeah no kidding because he would have ended up with death threats and whoever you know who knows what yeah okay I mean, and then if you would have assigned it to for instance clarence thomas or neil gorsuch okay they would have gone ahead and written it in such a way that even if it would have like upset moderates in the country they wouldn't have cared so roberts would have been in you know in a really difficult position yeah. you know this this is a guy who plays the long game right 
I mean, not only did he give a roadmap, if you will, to states who want to pass similar abortion laws that Texas and Louisiana passed, right? He gave a roadmap, for instance, in the, uh, the Trump tax cases um, to both Congress and the president on how they could deal with a similar dispute in the future and keep it out of the court. Because he basically went ahead and said, if you guys come to court with this kind of dispute, neither one of you is going to like the outcome. Right. And these are, and, and by the way, we're also letting the lower courts know what we want them to ask you. So yes, be okay. prepared to jump through some hoops. This is hoops. not, you know. Okay. Hoops that those institutions, at least of recent vintage, don't seemingly jump through all that well. <laughs> no. No, they're they're like me trying to jump to a hoop and then catching my foot on the hoop and falling through the other side. You get through, but it's not pretty, and you don't. Oh, want to do oh it it's ugly, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sort of like you know, you know, me, you know, trying to go ahead and you know uh, 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 shoot a jump shot in basketball. Okay, uh, I'm so old with so many knee problems that you know. <laughs> you could barely, you know, slip one sheet of paper underneath my feet when I attempt a quote unquote jump shot. It ain't pretty. Okay. The ball's going to get to the, uh, get to the rim. Right. But how it gets there. No, nobody's going to go ahead and say, you should model your jump shot after Augie. Right. No, nobody's going to say that. And nobody's going to say that the current Congress or the, you know, the, the current president. Okay. And by the way, we can go back you know, a few Congresses and a few presidents, okay, are the models of, of governance, right. right? Okay. So it's John Roberts court, right? And I think he played it extremely well. I don't know if there's going to be blowback from some of his colleagues who are going to be like, oh, look at, you know, John Roberts, he's capturing all the attention. And, you know, the, the media is now calling it the Roberts court, blah, blah, blah. You know, because that kind of, you know, animosity and envy does exist in small group organizations, right? Yeah, the thing yeah. is, uh, um, I, I know that there's, one of the things, though, that you have to know when you get on the court is the court is usually named after the chief justice. Justice, yes. And it's not personal. It's not that people are like, because we don't want to name it after fill-in-the-blank individual. It's just that it's the tradition. Yes. Because that's just how it is. And that's yes. usually because that person has threaded some sort of needle. I know that in this particular instance, there was a lot of ideological needle threading going on here in this, in these oh, rulings, mean, right? I mean, because uh, yes. every time, every time I thought that I would know how something would go, because I was trying to do sort of predictive, like yes. everybody, right? I was yes. trying to be, you know, a CNN reporter and do predictive things. And they would come out and say, well, and I'm like, no, no, well, no, no, no. Just say what I want you to say. And they're like, yeah, but no. Because like I, we talked about the tax case where, um, you know, the Supreme Court giveth and the Supreme Court taketh away, right? Like, they didn't they threaded both of those cases in ways that were that ideologically peeved everyone sure because there and are a whole bunch of people who want the tax returns released tomorrow thank you very much make them do that right now and there's a whole bunch of people who are like that's not what the argument is the argument is whether 
a person should be compelled to do that without proof of of a, of a mean, criminal act. Like that's why they got it. The Vance got it, but the Congress and if, didn't. And, and 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 if you think about it, even if you like the president, okay, in the tax cases, the Supreme Court went ahead and said. No president has absolute immunity while they're in office. Right. No one's above the law. Okay. So you don't like the fact that your president has to turn over his tax records. On the other hand, no president in the future can go ahead and claim absolute immunity. Right. And by so the way, next time when it's not about tax records, it's about something else, else. That, that peeves you. And, you, and, and, yeah, and you the want to be able to force that occupant to do it as well. Yeah, like, and when the occupant is somebody you don't support, right? Okay, you can go ahead and say, "Well, you know, hey, Trump couldn't do it, so neither can you know your president." Okay, again, you know, giving a little bit in in both sides of the ideological spectrum had to like things or dislike things about the current current or the, the most recently completed Supreme Court term. And I think in John Roberts, you know, ideal world, okay, that's what should be said of the Supreme Court every term. Right. Okay. Every yeah, nobody term. was happy. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's right. Nobody was happy. Like he doesn't want there to be major win on either side for any real length of time right he wants everybody to recognize and hugely it seemed that that the ideological issues had to do with process they yes. had to do with is there a process did you follow the process then go back to the beginning and start over and do it the proper way like that seems to have been a lot of what they did this time was saying, we're going to take the ethical and moral questions out of this and ask the question of, did you follow the rules that you have either made for yourself or that have been made for your branch or whatever, right? Like, Yeah, and, and, and again, focus, when an institution focuses on process, okay, it doesn't mean that change cannot occur. It just means it's going to be slower, right? okay? And for somebody and, like and followable, it's not yes, going to be. Yes. It's not going to be. What's our favorite phrase? Arbitrary <laughs> and capricious. That's right. Okay. And for somebody like John Roberts, okay, again, that's what he's comfortable with. Okay. For justices, for instance, on the two ends of the ideological spectrum, they're fine being arbitrary and capricious. <laughs> well, or or they're completely fine with just blowing something up, right? Right. I mean, there's there's not a precedent that Clarence Thomas, for instance, on the conservative side of the ideological spectrum, there's no precedent, according to Clarence Thomas, that could not be revisited by the Supreme Court. Yeah, right? that he would not set fire to if he had a pot, if he had a chance to do so. Yeah, and, and I suspect Ginsburg feels similarly. I don't know so much Ginsburg. I would go with a different justice, oh. Sonia Sotomayor. Oh well, okay? yeah, yeah, Sotomayor. Okay would have no problem going ahead and, for instance, um, you know, challenging the motivations of any government actor, okay? Um, even though historically the Supreme Court hardly ever looks at what was the motivation of another government branch, okay? Right. You know, I they, have, 
I have a theory about how they could, how we could tell this in the future. Because one of the things that you've mentioned several times this summer is that being appointed by someone does not mean you will, you will always, uh, Act you know, rule in the conservative or the liberal side. You, you know, it will depend yeah. on the topic and on what you bring to it, as we saw with Gorsuch being a Westerner and bringing a different perspective to McGirt. But I have a theory about how we could tell. Okay. I think we could give them all snow globes. <laughs> and John Roberts snow globe would never move. It would get covered in dust. It would just sit there like, and he would just look at it like, oh, it's all peaceful and settled, right? Like, yes. And then you'd see Sotomayor at one end going, yaga, 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 shaking hers. And you'd see Thomas at the other end, yaga, 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 shaking his. And I think we could, we could really tell, I think we should gift them with some sort of, maybe we, you and I could send VCU snow globes and <laughs> see what they do with them. Because I think there would be some real indicators about their personalities. So when a president nominates somebody to the Supreme Court, senators who have the task of either confirming or rejecting a potential nominee should give them the snow globe test. Yes. <laughs> yes. You should just put it on the desk next to them and then, and then do something where you're like, we're just going to take a break for a few minutes and then see what they do. <laughs> Like, do they pick it up and shake it or do they not even look at it or do they, you know, oh, yeah. Okay, I'm patenting that idea right now. I'm trademarking that idea right now. So okay, whoever's so, thinking about stealing it in the Congress, okay. don't even do it. Okay, but, 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 but uh, before we get back uh, to the Supreme Court's uh, most recently uh, completed term, I have to ask, uh, so which type of person are you? Okay. Oh, I, sh I shake the snot out of every snow globe I've ever seen. Unless it says don't touch because you'll break it, I pick them up and shake them. I, I even pick up and shake the ones where there's a whole display and they all match. I'm just curious. I'm curious to see what will happen. I'm curious to see if they really do match. Yeah, no, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> I don't shake them vigorously, but I do shake them. I would never just have one sitting on my desk gathering dust. It's not, it's not. See, my it, 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 and this probably doesn't surprise you. The only times I generally shake snow globes is when I'm taking a break from either like writing a lecture or grading and I'm trying to um, uh, distract my mind. Yeah. Okay. You're doing uh, that, a mind reset. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, you know, I, I, I you know, if it's Christmas time, and uh, in, uh, in our Christmas decorations, my daughter and I probably have like six or seven snow globes. I might pick one up, okay, and shake it, but I'm not even paying attention to what's going on in the globe, okay? It's kind of sort of like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tom Cruise's character in the movie A Few Good Men, okay? Well, he's trying to come up with uh, potential, if you will, legal tactics, and they're in his apartment. And uh, one of his colleagues has tidied up his apartment and he can't find his uh, favorite baseball bat because he does all of his thinking with his baseball bat in his hand, right? So he can't think because he can't, he doesn't know where his bat is. It's not in his hand, right? Right. You know, the only time I will go ahead and pick up a snow globe, okay, is uh, when I am like, you know, taking a break 
and I'm just idly shaking the snow globe, okay? I'm not even looking at it, and I'm not necessarily doing it to see, okay, what the scene is within the snow globe. I'm just doing something with my hands to where I'm getting a mind reset, right? Okay, it's, it's kind of sort of like uh, you've seen me uh, teaching you. It's kind of sort of like me pacing around the room, okay? I'm pacing in part because my mind's working, right? If I stop pacing, okay, my students should go ahead and figure out, I basically tune them out. <laughs> yeah, I, I walk back and forth in front of the classroom as well. Um, uh, fortunately, I don't walk back and forth in front of the classroom in the same way that I shake snow globes, because that would be terrifying for everybody in the room. Um, but yeah, I've been, I'm known to walk up to displays and shake all of them. And people wow. are like, what are you doing? I'm like, isn't that fun? Because that's, I'm, yeah. I'm that kind of person. Um, so what else do you want to know about the, the most recently uh, completed Supreme Court term? I want to know about their voting. Okay. I want to know, um, so, okay. I know that the liberals tend to vote similarly and the conservatives tend to vote similarly most of the time. Although sometimes one will surprise you and turn up on the other side and you're like, what, what, what? And it's because of some, like I said, some process thing or some, some other, um, something that's not so much ideological, but actual. Uh, yeah, I mean, th think about Gorsuch, by the way, in the McGirt case. I mean, it's fairly clear. He's been on the Supreme Court now for, uh, what, a little over three years, okay? Um, the Supreme Court in that time has taken four cases dealing with Native Americans, and he's voted on the side of Native Americans all four times. This is a guy who's got an interest in Native American legal issues, right? Well, and he was yes. in the, he, wasn't he in the circuit court that dealt with a lot of? Yes. The, a lot the of those issues. Court of Appeals. He's a Westerner, right? Yeah. So he's, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, right? brings an interesting, um, and, and you and I are going to talk, I think, at some point about where people come from and how they end up on the Supreme Court in Important. terms of the colleges and the, you know, mm -hmm. the sort of paths to the court. I think you and I had talked about doing an episode on that. So yeah. uh, at some point I would like to I would really, I'm curious about that. I'm really curious about something. Who writes the best opinions and who writes the worst opinions? And I know best and worst are relative when you're yeah. at that level because they're all elite. They're all elite writers. But, and, it, and is there anybody on the court that people go, oh no, so-and-so wrote that. I don't want to read it. Okay, well, um, in terms of the worst, um, uh, many uh, Supreme Court observers felt as though Gorsuch struggled when he first got on the court because um, uh, some of his initial opinions were um, somewhat condescending. And it's one thing to go ahead and be condescending and have a flair, a rhetorical flair like Scalia did. I was going to say Scalia, I'm <laughs> looking at you. Okay. It's quite another to be kind of sort of like, you know, the um, uh, school teacher who is reprimanding you for, <laughs> okay, bad thoughts, right? Okay. 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 So among women, that is occasionally known as mansplaining. Mansplaining. Um, I kind of sort of got that a lot from the nuns who taught me how to write, okay? Because they would be critical, but in a way to where you didn't necessarily feel good about yourself. <laughs> 
right? But has he so? But he's kind of straightened up now. Yeah, I mean, hey, when you read a Gorsuch opinion, he's not going to go ahead and put funny pop culture references or turns of phrase. That's just not who he is. Is there someone uh, who that is who they are? Uh, Kagan does that. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and 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 and. Uh, there are many who believe that on the current court, the two best writers are Roberts and Kagan. Roberts, because his writing is so clear um, that it's pretty hard for you not to know what he was thinking as he was <laughs> writing his opinion, right? Okay. Um, but Kagan, uh, 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 Kagan likes, you know, makes popular pop culture references. Uh, uh, when she was being critical of um, uh, the Supreme Court's uh, uh, Roberts majority opinion in Sale of Law about uh, separation of powers, she actually made a reference to Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So if we ever got to interview one, she'd be the one we'd want to interview. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, Although I'd want to interview all of them. They're all very interesting people. Oh, they sure. all come from different yes. backgrounds and they, yeah. Have, yeah. they have a lot to offer. But yeah, I mean. It, so, it, so now that Gorsuch has cleaned up his act, are we pretty much in a, in a standardized level of writing? Or has yeah. Kavanaugh taken his place in struggling? No, Kavanaugh hasn't uh, struggled. I mean, it's pretty obvious Kavanaugh uh, likes to please people. Um, I mean, because even in, even in his dissents, he will go ahead and um, uh, uh, throw uh, the, uh, the 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 people who you know he's obviously you know voting against. He throws them all kinds of bones, right? Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, and 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 that's you know perfectly fine, right? I mean, uh, well, a new kid it, often does that. Yeah, because you know mm -hmm. the yeah, right. I it's mean, just group dynamics, right? The yes. new person, yeah, the usually of, is trying to be respectful and yeah, the freshman effect, right? You know, when you're a freshman in high school, you know, you try to go ahead and please as many people as possible because you don't want the attention to be on you and you don't want to get bullied by the other kids. <laughs> and, you know, you want your teachers to like you, blah blah blah, right? But on the current court, I mean, hey, let's face it, you know, Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito will never go ahead. Okay, and uh, um, uh, 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 energize you with their opinions, but that's fine. You know they write well. Okay, uh, they're quite obviously smart. But on the current court, the current court, okay, even those who don't like their votes, you know, will go ahead and acknowledge that Roberts and Kagan are probably the best writers. And by the way, it's probably not a shock that Kagan is a really good uh, good writer because uh, probably her her. Uh, uh, best friend on the court, at least before he died, was Scalia, right? I mean, they approached their job uh, uh, very similarly uh, in regards to how uh, how they ask questions during oral arguments. Um, you know, there is a there's an energy, there's an there's, and I'm not using this pejoratively. There's a an aggression with the writing that is a little bit different. And it's fun to read, okay? It's fun to read, right? Um, but I mean, a as a group, we have nine good writers. Okay? Have there been Supreme Court justices that were god awful and terrible to read? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I mean, it, 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 and 
I mean, I guess you're maybe this is not a requirement for you when you when you are made a Supreme Court justice to be a particularly good writer. You have to be a good justice. Like you have to understand the law and you have to be able to apply the law fairly and and judiciously. But that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be able to explain the law. I mean, in, in, in some of this too, Nee, is what is your preference in terms of writing? Okay. That's true. I mean, okay. I guess good is a, is a, is sort of a it's bad sort term of, to use because it, it, it's sort of subjective, right? Right. I mean, there are people who I know who absolutely uh, uh, relish uh, or relished um, Anthony Kennedy's uh, opinions on the court. Um, I disliked them because they were chock full of what I thought was overheated, overblown rhetoric that I didn't understand what that meant in terms of implementing the ruling, right? Right. Uh, on the other hand, um, uh, you know, I absolutely um, uh, uh, cherish uh, Robert Jackson's uh, opinions uh, while he was on the court. Okay, but in part, and, I, and I've told students this, um, he's one of my favorite justices uh, because of the approach he took to the job. Okay, um, he was not, uh, he was frequently not in either ideological camp, and probably that, you know, describes me pretty damn well, <laughs> right? Okay, uh, on the other hand, I always enjoyed reading Scalia's opinions, even though I frequently disagreed with his votes. Which is something that um, uh, my friend Neil says to me. Uh, he's uh, retired from the bar, but yeah. he still, of course, reads all the opinions. And he used to love to read Scalia's opinions, even when Scalia infuriated him, yes. because he liked the way Scalia wrote. He liked the way that he expressed ideas. So it is, I suppose, it's it's much the reader's personality that comes into it as the writers. So, um, so I know where th they've now wrapped up and they've gone on vacation or doing whatever it is they're doing. Mm -hmm. And they'll be back in September. When will they start releasing opinions? Well, uh, they'll hear oral arguments in October. Um, and then, um, uh, they actually like set aside a couple weeks uh, in each month early in the term so they can write um, and, you know, vote and write. So typically we don't get our earliest opinions until November or December. Okay. And those are usually the, uh, you know, uh, cases where the votes are nine to zero, eight to one. The uh, low hanging fruit. Yeah, the low. Yeah, I, I mean, as far as like yeah, yeah, this isn't yeah. going to be controversial yeah. among the court, yeah. that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it's not controversial to other people. But the court's pretty much cool with. Nah, we all agree that this thing is yeah. this thing. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, so we won't get any real excitement out of them until next spring. Um, yeah, next spring. That's usually how how it happens, right? Okay. Yeah, because you know the tough cases are the ones that it takes longer to write the opinions to get you know, the justices in the majority to sign off, uh, to allow those in the dissent. I mean, you wanna talk about somebody uh, uh, who writes a lot simply because <laughs> he, he either 
uh, concurs or is in the dissent, well, that's Clarence Thomas, right? This past term, he wrote 31 opinions. That means in half the cases, Clarence Thomas wrote an opinion of some sort or the other. The dude writes a lot, okay? Which is amazing because it used to be that he never spoke. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and that's why So it's clear that he's not, it's not that he doesn't have an opinion. And it's not that he doesn't have feelings about what's happening. And that's why the perception of Thomas among scholars has always been different than the perception in the media. Because the media would focus on the fact that Clarence Thomas, you know, went well over a decade without asking questions during oral arguments. But for scholars, okay, who read the opinions, okay, not only did we note that he was frequently writing opinions, but the stuff that he puts in his opinions are thought-provoking, right? Right. Okay, so, and you see this a lot with his concurrences and his dissents, because that's where, you know, he will go ahead and say, I disagree with the majority, even though I voted with the majority on this point. Or in his, in his dissents, he'll just come out and say, I don't think, you know, we should take this case, or I think we've gotten it wrong for like 200 plus years. And then he goes on to explain it. And you're like, wow, I would have never thought of that. I might still disagree with them, but I didn't think of that. Right. right. He's, he's like, at least bringing perspective, huge yeah. perspective to the, yeah, to, right? the, to the cases at hand. And he yeah. also clearly is listening, paying attention and cares deeply. Oh, I, I think sometimes people mistake his silence for not caring, and, being, and by the that way, is clearly not true. And by the way, Nia, the respect that he has among his colleagues was obvious if you listen to the live stream of the May oral arguments, because the questions he asked were frequently referenced or followed up on by his colleagues. I mean, he, he would ask questions and you're like, wow, he's cutting right to the heart of this case. Okay. And his colleagues would then would, you know, say something on the line, you know, to, to an attorney, something like this. Okay. I want to get back to the point that Justice, Tom, Justice Thomas made with his question to you. And you're like, hmm. Okay. Not only did I think that that was important, but the Justice Thomas's colleagues thought the point was important. And you're like... Uh oh! <laughs> if you're the lawyer, you're like, yeah, yeah. look out, lawyer. <laughs> yeah, grow oh, crap. <laughs> okay. So yes. So it's been a, no. I think I'm pretty good, but I think it's been an interesting term. Yeah. Um, and I'm yeah. I'm interested to see where John Roberts tries to take them next year. He seems to be um, exerting leadership in a way that he maybe wasn't doing as much before. So I think I like the idea that he's coming into his own and that it's now coming into being John Roberts' court. Hey, by the um, way, Nia, one other point I wanted to bring up, and we've talked about this in another podcast episode. You want to see his influence? Okay. Think about how the Supreme Court at one point in the spring had 10 different appeals challenging state or federal gun control laws, and the Supreme Court at the time of this rec recording this podcast episode has not taken a single gun control case for the next term. If there's, if there's anything that is characteristic of a John Roberts court, it's like, yeah, 
I know some of you on my, you know, on the conservative side of the court want to take a look at some of these, or maybe those of you who are, you know, my liberal colleagues might want to send a clear message that gun control laws are perfectly constitutional. But now I don't think we should. And neither side voted to take any of those cases because they don't know which side John Roberts is going to come down on. <laughs> well, and I'm sure that part of, I, I know that, um, I, no, I don't know that I would, I would guess that in part it's because there's only so much controversy he's willing to court. Yes. And, yeah. then, and then he's like, okay, we're done. We're full up with controversy. So we're just not going to take these other things. You guys can have, you can have abortion, you can have taxes, you can have, you know, whether Oklahoma is actually a full state or not, you can have, you, you, but you can't, but there's, here's some other things you can't have because I'm not willing to. And because he's the median vote now on the court. He, okay? he can control that. Yeah, because neither side knows for sure where he's going to come down and that's leverage. Oh yeah, he's turned his enigma into power. Yes. <laughs> and the thing is, what I like about that is that John Roberts' face is really hard to read. I don't know if you've ever watched him in an interview, but when he's asked questions, he's clearly processing the question, but there's no tell in his face. Like he would be, he an would make poker. unbelievable, right, unbelievable yes. amount of money in those poker tournaments in, in Las Vegas. Oh, my God, yeah. you can't see what's yeah. going on with his face, unlike some of the other justices who, when they are asked a question, their face does a whole thing that's, that clearly lets you know what they think. Um, so I like, that, I, I like that it's not just me that can't read him. It's also the eight other people that sit in the room with him all the time Sure. that aren't completely positive who you know where he's going to come down on something yep um and it means that he ideologically doesn't belong to anyone he has you know he makes his own way um oh yeah rather I mean, the way I mean, he the way he rules not his ideology because his ideology is clearly conservative yes. but his his rulings don't always yeah. land that way yeah, that's right and i like that that's yeah. a, I think that that's the way it ought to be, um, especially with the courts. I mean, yeah. the courts, it should be a case by case, but that's what we would hope for. We would hope that each one is taken individually and looked at thoroughly as an individual case rather than I want to find something that will make my greater point in life. So it turns out he's exactly the kind of justice I would hope for, which I, I don't know that I thought 15 years ago when he was appointed. I don't remember what I thought. I don't remember where I was 15 years ago. So um, <laughs> that's not true. I was in North Carolina, but, but I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't remember yeah. whether he was controversial. Yeah. The way some of the others have been controversial. Um, so yay. Good for him. Yep. And good for him that the court's finally being named after him. It only took him 15 years to get here. So you're that is the glacial pace of the Supreme Court. Yes. And see, you know, uh, listeners remember, you know, Neil wants, you know, so badly to have like government buildings and government institutions named for her. <laughs> I want to have massive, complete, total power so that I can change things and bend them to my will. 
but now that you've made me say that publicly. <laughs> I didn't make you say anything. <laughs> Anyways, it was a good chat. Thanks, Neil. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.